You can grab your Bibles out as you're doing that. A couple things to be remembering in prayer. Uh, Today, uh, Larry and Wayne and the team that we commissioned last Sunday is in transit on their way to Costa Rica uh, for the missions trip there. So please be remembering them in prayer uh, this week. And uh, I also would certainly appreciate your prayer um, for our staff team in this next week. So I have one week left in terms of... Uh, between now and when I go on my sabbatical. So I get to be with you guys next Sunday. And then uh, we're heading into that. And so this is our last week. We've got lots of details that we've already worked out, but a few of those things still to work through. So please be praying for us this week as we uh, just get everything in order for that next season that's coming up here. If last week we were in God's word and you would think of Philip, the person we were journeying with, as one of the most unlikely people that would be going out and preaching the gospel, this week the text we're in is all about one of the last people in the world you would ever think who would accept the gospel. Let me ask you this question. Who is the most unlikely person you would think of to come to follow Jesus Christ? Who is the person that if you heard they were in church this past Sunday, you'd be like, no way. If if you found out they got baptized, you would just like, what? On the floor, like that's crazy. Uh... Whether you believe this or not, it is true. A number of years ago, when I was a teenager, I used to be into some really uh, dark and heavy music. And this was, the, this was the lead guitarist of one of my favorite bands back in the day. It, it, is this the kind of guy that you think of as the last person in the world to ever follow Jesus? at the tip of sex, drugs, rock and roll, and everything else that is vulgar with tattoos all over? Is that what you think of? Or, or maybe it's a guy like this on the next slide. When I was in university, I was introduced to a series of books by this guy. See, he was, uh, his training was actually as a journalist, and he was a devout atheist. And then his wife became a Christian. And he was so annoyed and upset at this that he decided to take all of his expertise as a researcher to go on the hunt to prove Christianity wrong and get his wife out of this crazy group. So a guy like that, a devout advocate of atheism, a loud voice, anti-God. Is that who you think of? Or maybe you think of somebody like this. Sam Albury is a a world-renowned speaker, author, and is tremendously open about his own personal journey with same-sex attraction and homosexuality. Is that who you think of? Somebody of a certain lifestyle, a certain background. Oh, they would never come to Jesus. Or when you hear me ask that question, maybe you think of not someone in general, but someone very specific. Someone you know in your life. Uh, uh, A person in your family, 
uh, a guy at school, a gal you work with, you're like, oh, if you only heard them, you'd never, ever think they would become a follower of Jesus. Or maybe when you hear that question, you think of you. For whatever reason you've landed here today, and I'm thrilled that you are here today, but for whatever reason you have the thought of like, oh, you don't know the thoughts that are going through my head right now as I sit here, Alan. You, you don't know the hurts that are in my past. You don't know the things that I have done. You don't know the walls that are up. There is no way. Today, in Acts chapter 9, this is where we're in our Bible. So if you haven't already turned there, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. We are going to go on a little journey with a guy who is the last person in the world that you would ever think. He is the hardest of hard hearts, the most unexpected. There is no way guy to come to Jesus. His name is Saul. And let me give you a little hint about what we're going to see. No one is too hard or too far gone for God. Our text begins. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This is actually our second introduction to Saul in the book of Acts. We first were introduced to Saul very briefly as he was the ringleader of a mob in Acts chapter 7 that executed Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Saul was an incredibly zealous Jew. He was such a zealous Jew that he went on the hunt to go after anyone who thought he thought were in opposition to Judaism, anyone who he thought were heretics. They needed to be literally thrown in jail or executed. Men, women, didn't matter. And this guy literally goes and gets a letter in order to be now not just in Jerusalem hunting Christians, but to go on the road with his show to hunt them down. 
This, this guy is like beyond words, hard hearted. Wouldn't you agree? He, he is so hard hearted that he is traveling the countryside to find anyone he can who is a follower of Jesus and have them arrested, thrown in jail, or even killed. How much harder than a fanatical religious terrorist for the Christians can you get than this guy? There's no way a guy like that would ever But hear this, Bethel. No one is too hard or too far gone for God. No one. Saul gets this letter from the high priest and he goes on a hunting mission. Verse 3 says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, Damascus is about 300 kilometers from Jerusalem, so it's a bit of a trek. As he neared Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. It was the middle of the day in the Middle East, which means it was already really bright and really hot and really sunny, okay? But even in the middle of the day in the Middle East, when the sun is beaming down, a light shows up that just is so bright, it stops Saul in his tracks. He fell to the ground, and out of the light, we see in verse 4, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This is like shades of Moses, the burning bush sort of moment, a voice from heaven calling out to Saul. Who are you, Lord? Saul answers, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. As Saul is on the hunt with a letter in hand to go and ring up anybody he can find who is a follower of Jesus. He is stopped in his tracks by Jesus. See, some of us would think, I, I would think, that, that a guy like Saul, he is just like, he's too entrenched in his beliefs to be changed, right? We, we come at approaching a guy like Saul and think, well, there's no way he could ever come to Jesus because, I mean, he was such a trained Pharisee. He grew up his entire life learning a certain way. There's no way that could change. I mean, he was, he was too prominent of a figure. He was publicly leading the charge against Christianity. There's no way someone who is that vocally out there can change. There's just no way. And so we, we think he's, he's too entrenched. He's too deep. He's too ingrained into this for him 
to possibly have his life get changed. And you know what? Maybe that's what comes to your mind when you thought of that person at the beginning who you think there's just no way they'd ever come to Jesus. I mean, they are just, they are too raised up in. They are too entrenched in. They, they are too vocal about. They are the, the tip of the spear leading the charge for, you fill in the blank. There's just no way. But do you know what the, the problem with that line of logic is? When you start thinking there's just no way for whoever you've got in your head, you've forgotten that Jesus is actually alive. See, Jesus is not just a person like many other people. Christianity is not just a way like many ways that are available. He is not just offering a lifestyle like the litany of lifestyles that you could choose from. Jesus is actually the living, real God of the universe who shows up and stops terrorists in their tracks. That's Jesus. That's why no one is too hard or too far gone. Jesus continues talking to Saul here. Now get up, Saul, and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7 says, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. His, his whole posse with him that are on the hunt can't really figure out quite what's going on. They heard something but didn't know what's going on. And now all of a sudden Saul is, is blind. And so they're guiding this grown man by the hand along the road to the city of Damascus because he's totally blind. A number of weeks ago in the, the text that Josh preached where we met Saul for the first time, I don't know if you remember this, but in that, that sermon, Josh kept bringing us back to the words of Stephen and he was showing us so clearly and powerfully in that sermon that the problem was they weren't seeing what God was doing. These people in front of Stephen, you're not seeing. And, and Stephen went through in this sermon, if you remember, and he said, you know what? This is the way it's always been. When God was working with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the problem was everybody wasn't seeing what God was doing. 
And then when God worked with Moses, the problem was everybody wasn't seeing what God was doing. And then with David, when God was working with David, the people weren't seeing what God was doing. And now Jesus has come and you're not seeing what God is doing. And that's when Saul and all of them picked up the stones to stone Stephen because he called them out for not seeing what God was doing. And isn't it ironic now that Jesus stops Saul in his tracks and makes him not see? Hey, Saul, do you finally see what I'm doing now that you can't see? For three days, verse 9 says, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And then the scene shifts to the town of Damascus and this disciple, a guy named Ananias. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. The reputation of Saul has gone before him. People are on the lookout. No, actually, the disciples, they're on the hideout. For Saul, because, because they know this is the guy who killed Stephen. This is the guy who's gone and got a whole bunch of people arrested. This is the guy who's come here on the hunt to find Jesus followers like us. Are you sure, God? That, that's an ironic moment, isn't it? When, when God comes and talks to you and you're like, are you really sure about that? Do you really know who this guy is? But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for I, my name. See, God's like, Ananias, I know you might think this guy is too hard. I know you might think he's too far gone, but I've got a plan. Because hear this again, Bethel. No one is too hard or too far gone for God. No one. No one. The Lord tells Ananias, I have a plan for Saul's life. You may have written him off, but I am just beginning to write the story for his life. Then, verse 17 says, Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, verse 18, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Ananias says, okay, I'll trust you, Lord. And I can just imagine with like knees knocking and sweat dripping from his brow and angst in the knot in his stomach, he walks into the house and he sees the guy who has been on the hunt and he's like, is this gonna turn out as a trick for him to seize me? And he says, Jesus showed up. He lays his hand upon Saul and He sees. Not just physically, though, although that is true. Scales fall off of his eyes in this moment, and he sees, but there is so much more that he sees in this moment, right? He now, with spiritual eyes, sees who Jesus really is. Jesus is not a false teacher. Jesus is not a heretic. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord of the universe. And look at what happens next. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Immediately, immediately, he got baptized. Now, we've been working through the book of Acts for a while, if you've been with us over the fall and into the new year here. And, and you keep hearing me mention this because it keeps coming up. See, baptism is like apparently a really big deal because it keeps coming up. And here we see for Saul, he gives his life to Jesus because he sees and then he doesn't hold off for a while. He doesn't, he doesn't go through a long period of like back and forth, humming and hawing, I'm not really sure. He immediately goes and gets baptized. This is the same thing that we saw last week, right? With the Ethiopian eunuch. As soon as he hears the gospel, and then he's like, oh, look, there's water. I need to go get baptized. Stops the chariot. Let's do it right now. Saul hasn't eaten. He hasn't eaten for three days. And before he goes and eats, he gets baptized. Can I just ask you straight up, do you take baptism that seriously? Do, do you take obeying the command of Jesus for every one of us who is a disciple? Do, do you take it that seriously? Are you like, okay, it is this important, this urgent, this necessary for me to follow Jesus that like I will, I will immediately. Maybe the takeaway for some here today. Next week, we've got a baptism service coming up. Probably too late for you to get in for that one, but we got another one coming up at Easter, at least. 
Maybe, maybe your takeaway from God's word is like, you need to get baptized, brother or sister. Take serious the words of Jesus that says, believe and be baptized. Maybe that's your takeaway for today. Immediately. And then verse 19 continues. After getting baptized and then after having some lunch, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And then catch this. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. I love that. Not only immediately did the scales fall off of his eyes and then immediately he gets baptized. Immediately he starts preaching the gospel. Oh, no, no, I need years of answers and ability to answer questions. Oh, I need all kinds of understanding. I need to have this whole thing in my life all worked out. No, 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 friends, you just need to meet Jesus and then tell people that you've seen him. Immediately, he goes and preaches the gospel. And all those 21 who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. All the people are like, there's no way. This guy is too hard. His heart is too far gone. There is no way God could save this guy. But he did. Because no one is too hard or too far gone for God. Friend, today... If you are here and you find yourself in a spot where you're like kind of curious or maybe you're even kind of skeptical about this whole church Christianity thing. A friend convinced you to come today because they promised a lunch afterwards or whatever it might be. If that's you here today, can I, can I give you a real simple action step that could be your takeaway today? Would you do a little bit of a deep dive? And if you want to chat after, like, come on up. I'd be glad to kind of give some direction to encourage you tracks to run on. Would you do a little bit of a deep dive into this guy named Saul? Like, he, he's a real person. He's a real events. This really happened. And, and if you're, like, curious about this whole Christianity Jesus thing, what if you were to look a little bit into this guy and, and just ask yourself the question, what is it that would possibly take a guy from being a murdering, hate-filled, destroy these people to the leading preacher for these people immediately? What would do that? Like, what happened in this guy's life that brought about such transformation? Is there any answer that you can come up with that really is like a legit answer other than he actually met Jesus? No one is too hard or too far gone for God. Verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. 
But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through, the open, through an opening in the wall. The tide turns here. The hunter now becomes the hunted. And the enemies who he came to lock up are now the ones who are helping him be set free. Now, let me also just point out, reflect upon this for a moment. Observe this here. In the matter of a few days, Saul has become so transformed and convinced that Jesus really is the rescuer of the world and God come to earth that in the matter of just a few days, he is now willing to risk his life for Jesus. That's how much God has done to transform Saul. That he's like, I am willing to even die and not renounce the reality that Jesus really is alive. So Saul flees Damascus and he heads to Jerusalem. We read in verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They too are like, he's too hard. There's no way this guy could be changed. There's no way this guy could possibly be a follower of Jesus. He's too far gone. He's too hard hearted. There's no chance. And so steps in this dear brother Barnabas. Barnabas, who's also, his name means son of encouragement, heart of gold. He was the guy who in Acts chapter 4 literally sold his whole farm to give the money away. He sees a glimmer of God at work in Saul. And so, verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas steps up and advocates for Saul God can reach the hardest of hard hearts. Don't lose heart, apostles even. Look at what he's done. It's true. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecan Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. You got to picture this. You got to enter into this text. The guy who oversaw the killing of Stephen in this place, in this city, is now standing up and boldly proclaiming the message that Stephen was proclaiming quite possibly to the very people that Saul rallied to stone Stephen. And now they want to kill him. 
And again, he flees off, but he's like, I'm not going to renounce this. I'm not going to go back out and be like, oh yeah, you know what, brothers? You're right. I'm wrong. I've made a mistake. Forgive me. And now I'm going to get back in line with you. He's preaching boldly. Jesus is the Christ, unapologetically. This is the transformation that God does. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. God keeps building his church. God keeps working by the power of his Holy Spirit, reaching people, reaching the most unlikely people that you would ever think of being reached. And Saul, this hard-hearted murderer, becomes the greatest church planter in the history of the world. And in fact, Saul, who takes on the name Paul, ends up writing almost half of the books in the New Testament by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in one of those books, I want you to listen to what Saul converted, transformed, too hard, no one would believe Saul writes about what God did in his life. Christ Jesus, Paul, Saul says, he came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. God showed this unlimited mercy to a crazy, raving murderer bent on the destruction of the church to be an example for all of us and any and everyone who would call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. No one is too hard. No one is too far gone for our God to save. No one. Which I think leads us today to two takeaways as we finish up. Two takeaways that we each need to be challenged with today, that I need to be challenged with today. Here's the first one. We need to fall on our knees in prayer. This story of Saul, the transformation that God did as Jesus, the living Jesus showed up, needs to lead us to fall on our faces, our knees in prayer. When we look at the people who cross our paths, how easy it is for us to get high and mighty and look down. How easy it is to have these boxes. There's no way God could ever work in someone like this. 
There's no way God could ever change a person who looks like, who lives like, who is from, who has done, who says there's no way. And the call of God's word is repent on our faces because the living God loves sinners, even the worst of us. And no one is too far gone for God. No one is too hard-hearted for God. I showed you some pictures at the start. That first picture from the lead guitarist, I was blown away a few years ago to hear he'd quit the band. Millions and millions of dollars. This is a huge band in that whole scene. Do you know why? Because God had so radically got a hold of his life that he gave his life to Jesus. You know the next picture? The atheist advocate. Do you know what the name of the book that I got introduced in university was? The Case for Christ. See, he put all of his efforts, Lee Strobel, into hunting down the truth about Christianity to win his wife out of this crazy new faith. But he discovered it was all true. And he wrote a book about it. He wrote a couple books, actually. Or you could go to Sam. The world-renowned speaker who is publicly open about his own journey with same-sex attraction and homosexuality, who is a single celibate man, a pastor, an evangelist, an author, and I would argue, if you want to look up Sam Albury, probably the leading voice in the world on the Bible's take on identity, sexuality, and the gospel. It's phenomenal what God has done in this man's life. You think anyone's too hard? You think anyone's too hard-hearted? What do you got in your head of this person? You know what we need to do? We need to fall on our faces. Oh God, forgive me. Forgive me for where my heart is at about these, this person. Forgive me for where my heart is at doubting that you are really the living God. And God, I need to pray. Would you show yourself? Would you show yourself? To this person in my life who I think is just too hard, there's no way. Show yourself to my husband or my wife. Show yourself to my friend or that bully at school. Show yourself to my boss or the parents of my kids' friends. Show yourself to my son, to my daughter. Show yourself to me, God. Cry out like Miranda. God, if you're really alive, would you just show me? And you know what? He is alive. And he does these things in Saul's life. And he does these things in, in the different pictures of people I've talked about there. And he does these things in Miranda's life. And he can do this in your life. Or in the life of that person that you think is just too hard, too far gone. No one 
is too hard or too far gone for the living Jesus to fall on our knees in prayer. And then secondly, we need to fall on our knees in thanks. This call of this text leads every single one of us here today hearing my voice to fall on your knees with thanksgiving. See, Saul's story is not just an example of God's unlimited patience for the superstar rebel. It's not just for the murderous terrorist. It's for every single one of us. For all those, Paul said, who would believe on the name of Christ. This call is a call for every single one of us. You might think, oh, this is just the extreme story of Saul that God saves the hard-hearted. Yeah, well, he does do that, but he also does it for every single one of us because guess what? I'm Saul, and so are you. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, you'd be like, no, 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 I'm not that bad of a person. I'm a really good person. Jesus is the one who says, if anyone is angry with his brother or sister in his heart, you've murdered them in God's eyes and are guilty of murder. Anybody in this room ever gotten angry? Jesus is the one who says, if you've ever lusted after another, in God's eyes, you have already committed adultery with them. You don't need to do a show of hands. You were shy the first time. Anybody ever lusted in this room? You would say, oh, this is just a story for the really extreme write-off cases. No, 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 friends. You and I, we all on our own stand in opposition to God. We all on our own stand as enemies to God. We all on our own run around the countryside opposing Jesus. And it is a story in front of us today from Saul that leads us to thanksgiving because it is only the mercy of God that calls any one of us who could say, I too am the worst of all sinners but Christ Jesus showed me mercy.